Well, good morning, New Hope. It's great to see you. Haven't we had some stunning weather? Hey, this is what the summers used to be like for all you who haven't been around for a while. Let me tell you, they were always like this, right? It was great. Okay, well, if you're visiting for the first time, I want to say a really warm welcome. We're glad you came and we'd encourage you to take your outline out. I'm reading from Matthew chapter 5 today, but we're in part 6. Now, one of the things I've noticed is as the world gets more polluted, there's an increasing concern about purity. Purity. I mean, we want to breathe pure air. And uh, people want to drink pure water, beautiful pure water. And uh, we want to eat food with no additives, right? We want to put the pure stuff in, in our hearts. So as important as these things are, purity, New Zealand, though, tends to overlook another sense of purity. You know what that is? It's in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 8. It says here, happy are the pure in heart, for they will see God. There's that word pure. And we're going to come back to that quite often today. Happy are the pure in heart, for they will see God. You see, happiness is a heart condition. And it works from the inside out. And you're a person who has a pure heart if you have unmixed motives. Unmixed motives. That means that you're a person of integrity. In other words, you don't say one thing and then you act a different way. If you do that, you have mixed motives and you have an impure heart. This is what it's going to get to. I'll show you in a second. The fact is, is God is concerned more about why we do something than actually as to what we do. He's more concerned about with why we do the things we do more than what we do. He's actually interested in our motives, Matt. Did you know that? Very interested in our motives. Let me say that again. He is very, very interested in our motives. For example... Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, next chapter over, it says, Be careful not to parade your good deeds before others to attract their notice. Or, if you do that, look what happens. You will lose all your reward from your heavenly Father. Very clear scripture. Question. Is it possible... To do good things for the wrong reasons. Oh, absolutely it is. Is it possible to be outwardly, outwardly religious and yet inwardly a mess? Absolutely it is. See, the Pharisees were like that. But Jesus spoke too often. Outwardly they were immaculate. They were dressed just so, and they had all the right paraphernalia, the right garb on. But inside, they were rotten to the core. And Jesus just didn't mince words. He said, you hypocrites. You do all the right stuff on the outside, but inward, you're a brood of vipers, a bunch of snakes. You're fork-tongued. You, got a, you speak at the two sides of your mouth. There's no integrity in your lives. And he's getting after this word hypocrisy. God hates hypocrisy. And as representatives of God, we should hate hypocrisy in our own lives. 
as well. And we should be on the guard for that. Happiness is when you are the same on the inside as you are on the outside. In fact, this is so important that Jesus dedicates an entire chapter to this in Matthew chapter 6. And if you have time later on today, I highly recommend you go back and read the whole chapter. So let me give you three steps here that he gets after here for a pure heart, to have a pure heart. Three steps that can help us have a pure heart. Number one, remember that God sees everything. He sees everything. There's a key phrase here. In fact, you'll see it in verse 4, 6, and 18. It says, your father sees what is done in secret. He sees what is done in secret. Nothing is secret to God. Does that make you a little bit uncomfortable? Does it? It should do. It makes me uncomfortable. That means that every word that I say, he hears and he doesn't forget. It means every attitude that I show, even in my own home, even when the door's shut and no neighbors can hear, every word he hears, nothing is done in secret. He sees what is done in every keystroke of your computer. There is nothing hidden from his sight. Oh, you may be able to fool everybody, even in your own household, but you cannot fool God. He is never surprised. Oh, I didn't know about that. What I'm trying to say, friends, is you and I don't have any secrets from God. None. I remember I've had four kids and I remember the little game we used to play, like most of you, called Heidi Go Seek. And when they're really, really, really little, they would run off into all the bedrooms. And some of them were so young, they'd get in a place and you could see their legs. But because you couldn't see their eyes, cover, they didn't think you could see them. <laughs> and I, I always used to get a kick out of that. You can't, you can't see me. You know, the head's buried in the couch and they can't see you. Therefore, you can't see them. They think they're invisible. The fact is, though, let me say it clearly. You cannot sneak anything past God. You can't sneak anything past him tax-wise. Oh, you may, may fool the IRD, but you will not fool God. He knows. Have you ever kind of heard the devil's lie? It goes, go ahead. Nobody will ever know. Have you ever heard that lie whispered in your ear? I have. That's him tempting you. Surprise! God knows. The Bible says here in Hebrews 4, nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. That's quite sobering to me. It's also amazing at the same time because even though God knows everything that I've ever done, he still loves me and you. He still loves you. And nothing can change that. So the first step is realize that I'm always in the presence of God. There is nowhere I can hide from his presence. 
Not in an airport where you think nobody knows you. Not in a hotel where you think nobody would ever, ever, ever find out. Or on a sales convention. God knows these things. So the first step, now remember, I may fool others, but I cannot fool God. And this is the first step towards gaining integrity. Full integrity. Because then all of a sudden you realize that you cannot escape God's eye. And he knows. And you will one day, as that scripture says, we must give an account to him. We must. So that's the first step. The second one is to remove is to renew and review my motives. To review my motives. This is getting to the heart of the issue. It's doing an honest evaluation of why do I do what I do? Proverbs 24 verse 21 from the Good News Version says, God knows and he judges your motives. Circle the word motives. He keeps, over, he keeps watch over you, and he knows, and he will reward. Would you circle the word reward and circle the word motives? You according to what you do. He will reward you according to what you do. Now, let me be very clear. This has nothing to do with salvation. This is to do with your reward in heaven, but it is paramount. Circle reward and motive. Notice our reward is based on both what we do, and why we do it. Two things. And in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is going to give us three clear examples to drive this home to us today. Three clear examples of giving, of prayer, and of fasting, he says. Three good things. Three good things that we should do. But you can also do each one of these three things in the wrong way. And this is what Jesus is getting after. Let's look at the first one, giving. In verse 2, Jesus says this. When you give, well, there's the first point right there. Has Jesus, is Jesus first in your life? Is he reaching into you so that you are free from the grip of materialism? Because the only way you can prove that is can you part with some of it? If you can't, it has you. Money is never the problem. It's when money has you, when you can't get rid of it, it has got a grip on you. When you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets. Imagine this morning, after we finish the service, the offering buckets go by, and Grant stands up and he goes, I made 10,000 last week, here's 1,000 going offering. Everybody watch. Clunk. It'd be crazy. I mean, Jesus is I mean, he's, he's showing this by hyperbole. He's saying, don't announce it with the trumpets when you give, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by who? Men. I tell you the truth. Now, when Jesus says that, you better underline that. They have received the reward in full. Jesus is saying, that's all the reward they will get. I've been in some churches, generically speaking, getting after this exact issue, where every brick has a name on it. And every chair has a name on it. Now, don't get me wrong, memorials are fine, but when the people are still living, that's a different issue. (laughs) 
Verse 3. This is, this is how it, that was the wrong way to do it. This is how you do do it. But when you give, there it is again, to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And then your father who sees what is done in secret rewards you. He's saying when you give, your motives for giving to God and to others must be pure. The emphasis here is on a complete lack of ostentation. No one should call attention to the fact that they are giving. Let God reward you because he sees. He sees. See, he knew when he was talking about that widow's might. He knew all these other guys are plonking in great dollops of cash out of their wealth. But the widow had a little. Notice his reaction. Go home and read that one. That's what he's getting after. His reward is of far greater value, and it will be perfect, and it will be eternal. Any businessman worth his salt knows which one he's going after. The eternal reward, that's perfect. Then the next next area is in prayer. Read verse 5. It says here, in verse 5, it says, when you go and pray. Do not be like the what? The hypocrites. For they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corner to be seen by men. I tell you the truth. They have received their reward in full. Have you ever been around and you've been in a prayer somewhere? Maybe Who knows where it is? And then you hear somebody who's actually praying to the gallery, the invisible gallery. And when you finish, you almost want to clap. Well done, well done. That was a good speech. And they were telling God things he already knew. To either take up space with their flowery language. God is not impressed with their flowery language. He wants heart-to-heart, honest communication with integrity. That's what he wants. You know, thank you, Lord. And, And it's quite subtle sometimes. It's, oh, thank you, Lord, for the 15 people I witnessed to last week. And they just kind of slip it in there. Yeah. Oh, thank you, Lord, that as I was praying this week and all night that you happened to speak to me about. You know, oh, that guy prayed all night. Oh. You know what I'm talking about. God doesn't want that. Also, God wants genuine words. Sometimes it is better to shut up than keep saying the same thing over and over and over. Can't you say something new to me? It's like if I said the same thing to my wife over and over and over, she'd say, honey, be a bit more creative, darling. It's a relationship, not a religion. Big difference. If you're just talking to a stone, I don't care what you say. But we're talking to a living God who's a person who loves you. Now, observation. When my kids were this level, my language changed to them. It will be something like, uh, you know, I'll be saying crazy things like, but is for ball. And they'd like, ball? Ball. And so I'd talk at that level. And we'd talk at, or, and we'd say the same things over and over and over again. You know, thank you. Thank you, mummy, daddy. My vocabulary was limited when they were young and they were immature. But as they grew, the conversation and the language developed 
if you are still saying the same things over and over, maybe God is wanting you to grow in your language. One of the ways that's helped me is I often write down my prayers so I don't say the same thing over and over and fall into a religious trap. So when you're in those prayer meetings, you know that little self-promotion that sneaks in? He says, that's all the reward you get. If you're going to do something, do it in secret. And then in verse 16, 18, he talks about fasting. And some of us could do some more of that. But he actually talks about fasting. That is going without food. None of the sissy stuff, technology fasts. Without food. That's what he's talking about. When you fast, he says, don't go around looking like you've got no gas in your tank, like the hypocrites do. Oh, woe is me, I've been fasting. I haven't had food for eight hours. Well, big deal. That's between you and God. He said, if you do that, you've lost your reward. He said, put on your brill cream or whatever you do. Put a smile on your dial and go for it. Show there's some joy. He says, wash your face, put oil on your head so it won't be obvious to men that you are fasting. See, he's getting after the heart of the issue. Question. If you fasted for two or three days or a week, could you keep it a secret? So what's the point of all these things? These last three things we've looked at. Giving, prayer, and fasting that Jesus talks about so much in this chapter. What's the point? Jesus is saying here, the point of the pure heart is you keep it a secret when you do good. If you can't, maybe your motives are mixed. Maybe you want the praises of men more than you want the praises of God. Now, a couple of tests for a pure heart. Two tests. One, do I have to tell others or can I keep it a secret? And two, am I sincere? Or am I being a hypocrite? And that word is used three times. On your outline, the opposite of a pure heart is hypocrisy. And Jesus said to the Pharisees, For they love the praises of men more than the praises of God. Now, in moving the kingdom of God forward, there are some ministries which have more higher profile. People see you. Let me be real clear. Right now, there are people looking after your children. And not just looking after, they're not babysitting them. They are partnering with you to help you grow spiritual, spiritually um, thirsty children who will thirst after Jesus with all of their hearts. Many of you don't even know their names. And they serve year after year after year after year after year. Let me be very clear. Their reward is great in the kingdom of heaven. Because they don't get any accolades that 
the people up here, all of us get. You see me. That, that doesn't bother me. Two foods. Because I'm not in it for that. But I'm telling you, their reward is probably greater by a fair shot than mine. Because nobody sees them. The people that are here at 7 o'clock in the morning doing their thing. They don't blow their trumpets. Some of you don't even know who their names are. They don't do it for glory of men. They do it for the audience of one. Those ministries, the people that help with the, you know, the car parking, or, or the, you know what I'm saying? The people who do those things, God's heart, they, yeah, they're blessed. It's expressed through this verse here, 1 Thessalonians 2.4. We do not aim to please others, but to please God who knows us through and through. That is the aim of a pure heart. We do not aim to be pleasing to other people all the time, but to please God who knows us through and through. Question. Who do you really want to please most? Who is it? Do you want to please God or do you want to please man? Well, I have an interesting fact to insert in here. Here it is. You can't do both. You just need to face that fact head on and grapple with it. You cannot do both. God says if you want the praises of others, that's fine. But that's all you'll get. You'll get it, and that's all you'll get. So if I want to be pure in heart, I need to remember that God sees everything. Including the motive. And secondly, I need to remember my motives. So on the back of your outline, I want, if I want to be in, uh, pure in heart, the third step is I need to realign my priorities. Exodus 20 verse 3, one of the Ten Commandments, the very first one off the bat, you shall have no other gods before me. That's in front of, gets preference. So if you are obeying this commandment, God will be first. He'll be ahead of all the other priorities. God deserves top priority. And you won't play second fiddle to anybody else. Not your career, not your wife, not your husband, and certainly not your hobbies. Whatever your small g God is, is whatever has first place in your life. So, how can I tell what my priorities are? Here we go again. Another warrant of fitness. Let's take a few tests here. Let me give you three tests to tell you what your priorities are. First thing you need to look at is your activities. Where do I invest my time, which I only have a limited number of hours, and my money, which I have a limited number of dollars? Matthew 16, uh, 6 verse 19, same chapter. And Jesus is very, very, very clear. I love it. Jesus brings simplicity. He's clear. He says, don't pile up treasures on earth. But keep your treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, your heart, circle that, will be there too. He's saying wherever you put an investment, there you'll put your heart. So... I can today stand here and ask you, what is first place in your life? And most of you will answer, well, the Lord is first place in my life. But is he? 
in real reality, if we apply this test, if you were to show me your schedule for this week, let's think about that for a minute. Let's not just rush off this one. If you were to show me your schedule this week, you know the one that you planned? Not just bumped around by life? And you were to show me your visa or your checking account, I could tell you exactly what your priorities are. You see, it reveals what's most important to you, how you and I spend our time and how you and I spend our money. That's acid test. Regardless of what we say is first place, where we spend our time and where we spend our money shows us what's first place. That's why in Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 23, I haven't put that in there, but Deuteronomy 14, 23 says, the purpose of tithing is to teach you to put God first in your life. That was the purpose of it. So when I give the first 10% of my money back to God, because I remember it all came from him in the first place, I give him the first part of the day. I spend some time in the first part, not the first part. He gets the first bite of my day. Before my mind cluttered up with all the issues and the dramas of the day, he gets the first part of my money and the first day of every week, which is a Sunday when we come to church. If he's getting all those... It's because God is first in your life. So that's when I look at my activities. That's one test. The second test is when I look at my anxieties. So activities first, anxieties second. This is another big test. What do I worry about the most? Well, Matthew 6.25 says, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life. What? That's what the boss says. Now, if this afternoon you want to, this is a, a stunning example. In Matthew 6, it deals, that chapter alone deals with the five most common worries every single person on the planet has. Let me show you why. In verse 24, the five most common worries, it talks about finances. That's verse 24. In verse 25, it talks about food. Finance and food. In verse 27, it talks about fitness. In verse 28, it talks about fashion. What you're wearing. It does, girls. Go read it. And verse 34, it talks about don't worry about your future. The five number one things that people worry about. And he says clearly here, if you're worrying about any of those things, it indicates misplaced priorities. And so he gives us a tune-up here. He says, worry says God... I think I'll take all these on myself, and I'm in charge here. So you need to check out your activities. You need to check out your anxieties and to see if your priorities are right. And then number three, you need to look at your ambitions. My goals reveal my direction in life. Direction in life. Whatever is the number one goal in my life, the number one ambition in my life, what's important to me is my God. Now, I want you to read this with me from Matthew chapter 6, verse 31 from the Phillips translation. Let's read it aloud. Don't worry about these things. This is what pagans are always looking for. That's ambition. 
your heavenly father knows you need them. Instead, set your heart first on his kingdom and his goodness, and all these things will come to you as a matter of course. Now, as a pastor, I have a deep concern right here. And my concern is summed up in this way. Many believers' ambitions are no different to those of the world. Their goals are indistinguishable from those of the world. They're brought into the same culture. They're brought into the same system. They're drinking the same Kool-Aid. And they don't realize And therefore, by the way, it's the same rat race, and therefore they have the same problems and the same stresses and the same headaches. But the Bible says, my people, you are a peculiar people. Come out from among them. He actually says in one verse, you are an upside-down people. The world chases this, but no, no, you need to be different. That's That's an evidence that you are truly his, that you're putting his priorities first, not the world's priorities first. So God says, set your heart first on doing what God wants you to do. Don't be sucked in and pressured and molded by the culture around us. Then, Jesus is happy the pure in heart, for they will see God. So let me just summarize. Let me come at this a different way to summarize. Three evidences that you have a pure heart. If you have a pure heart, you'll be more and more increasingly conscious of God's presence. You'll always be aware that God is there. That is a mark of maturity. The less conscious you are, by the way, of God, the more immature you are and the more conscious you are of other people, especially when you're doing good. An immature person, when he prays, is more worried about what they sound like than they are about expressing the deep desire of their heart and how it comes out. A mature person just focuses on pleasing God. So a pure in heart person is firstly conscious of God's presence increasingly. Secondly, they are content with God's praise. Matthew 6, 2. The people who are showing off with their religious deeds, they have their reward. But if you do it in the secret, you don't worry about what other people think. God will reward you. Now, it's interesting, the word reward in verse 2, when he says, you know, well, they've got the reward. The Bible, the Greek there is very, very temporary. The reward you get from men is extremely temporary. But the last reward, but my reward, that is everlasting, and a lasting investment. What do you want? That's your choice. But Jesus says, if you want to please my father, this, this is the way you need to, to fly. Don't sell out the future for the present. Don't sell it out. So happiness in the Christian life boils down to who do you want to please? The most. Now, the amazing thing is this. It struck me like a slap around the face this week in a nice way. The amazing thing about that thought is that I can't please everybody. Has anybody figured that out, right? 
Yeah? But the amazing thing is you can please God. Oh, whoa. So why would I try? Logically, why in the world would I try and please everybody when that's impossible? But I can please God. That's exceedingly possible. A pure in heart person will thirdly be controlled by God's priorities. He has set his heart on what God says is important, not the world on what are the results. Happiness, happy are the pure in heart because there's no phoniness going on there. There's no having to pretend. There's no fear of being found out. There's integrity in your life. The opposite of, is, of that is also true. Unhappy people have divided hearts. And sometimes I meet people like that. They've got a little bit of God, so they're miserable when they sin. And they've got, you know, on this side, when they sing, they're thinking about God. So they're the most miserable of all people. Some of you are trying to please a bunch of people. And you've got a divided heart and you're unhappy. So happiness, no funniness, having integrity. And two, the Bible says that they will see God. In their li- he'll show up in their lives. He'll show up in their circumstances. And you'll know the sense of his presence helping you. And you'll see him in heaven. Now, I don't know, some of you in this room wear glasses. I'm one of those guys. I didn't have to until I was about 25, 26. But I do. But you know what I've noticed sometimes? If my glasses are dirty, sometimes I don't even realize. Sometimes I've got to take them off, give them a good post. Whoa, it's really bright out there. Anybody have any experience? Yeah, look at them all. If you don't see God too well, maybe in your heart, you've got to get that cleaned up. So in conclusion, how can I clean up my heart? Here's the answer. You can't on your own. But the good news is I'd like to recommend to you a fantastic doctor. His name is Dr. Jesus. Dr. Jesus makes house calls. And he's never a big cue for him. He doesn't cost money, and he's a pro at transplants, and he's never lost a patient. No one will take him from my hand. And there's no wait. He'll see you today. So what do you do to have a clean heart? You follow the example of David. You just ask him. David, in the Old Testament, had just had the most earth-shattering, devastating experience of his life. He had just committed adultery, with another man's wife, and then had the guy murdered. He was a murderer and an adulterer, and he felt lower than a lizard's belly. He was feeling terrible. And look what he said here in Psalm 51. This was the cry of his heart. Create in me a new clean heart. Oh God, fill me with clean thoughts and right desires. How do you get a clean heart? You ask God. He wants to give you a brand new heart. He wants to take off the old. Remember, this is how the old heart behaved. You're given this particular situation and you attempt to do something and you begun. Don't, don't do that. And you'd be really struggling not to do that. And be this pull back and, and you'd be almost fighting. It's like trying to fight with an autopilot. Imagine on my jet ski, I've got an autopilot that's set to go that direction. And I'm sitting on this thing, pulling it, because I want to go that direction. 
and I can do it until all of a sudden I run out of strength and I let that go and boom, the thing goes straight back in the direction it's programmed to go. That's a problem with religion. He says, I want to take out that heart of stone and I want to replace it with a heart of flesh which I have cleansed by the blood of my son. He'll give you a new heart, a new start and a new outlook on life. Your perspective will be lifted. Would you bow your heads with me as we come to a close? This morning as we come to this close, I, I want to do a spiritual checkup. I want you to do your own spiritual checkup. I want to ask you a question. How is the condition of your heart this morning? Some of you this morning are sitting here with a broken heart and it hurts. Some of you have got hearts that are so hardened, there's so much bitterness and resentment in your life, nothing can break through that wall. Others of you have got a divided heart, and you're trying to serve God on Sunday, and you live like the devil on Monday. You're trying to please people many different people and you're acting one way with one group and another way with another group and another way at home there's no wonder you're not happy friends isn't time you stop pretending stop pretending that you're really happy and you're not stop pretending that you're a follower of Christ when you're really not it's really only half hearted Would you come to God and say, okay, God, I need a new heart. This wrestling is wearing me out. Folks, happiness is from the inside out. It's a heart condition. If that's you today, would you follow me in this prayer in your own mind? Would you say, Father, help me to be more aware of your presence and to realize that you're everywhere and you can see everything I do and every thought that I think. Father, thank you for loving me even though you know me so completely. You know every single thing that I've ever done and there are no locked doors with you. No secrets. You know every thought that's crossed my mind and every jealousy, every bit of envy, every bit of selfish ambition, every lust, every fear, worry, and depression. You've seen it all, Lord. It's so amazing to believe that you love me. But you say, you do over and over and over again in your word, God, I want a pure heart. Like David, I ask you to create in me a clean heart, filled with clean thoughts and right desires. I want to put you first in my life. I want to realign my priorities with you, Jesus. Because you said if I set my heart first on you, then all these other things will come to me as a matter of course. Would you, by your Spirit, Help me prioritize my life and become the center of my life, Lord. Would you become my center? Help me to be more concerned with pleasing you than pleasing people. Folks, 
It's a miserable way to live trying to please other people. Would you say, help me to be more concerned with pleasing you than pleasing others? Give me that new heart today, I ask. Thank you for your spirit, Father, and your word that guides me, that comforts me, and that directs me. Thank you that you've given us clearly through your servant Matthew these prescriptions for happiness. And I pray today, as many are having a heart transplant, a spiritual rebirth, a new beginning, a start, a chance to start over, letting go of past failures, faults and fears, and to look to you with a great hope and a fantastic confidence as they invite Jesus Christ in. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, consider the words in an attitude of just quietness and gentleness. The words of this next song. Today, if you made a decision or there's something you want to tell us about on that communication card, just write it on there towards the end of the song and please drop it in the offering bucket at the end of this song. God bless you. Thank you.